welcome to Season 3, Episode 4 of The Modern Extractor. This podcast focuses on the processes, equipment, and science found inside a cannabis extraction laboratory. I'm your host, Jason Showard, and I work professionally in the cannabis extraction field. In Season 1, we followed material through an ethanol extraction lab, starting with biomass and following it all the way through to distillate and isolate. We stopped at each stage along the way and picked it apart with an industry expert guest. In Season 2, we did the same, but with hydrocarbon extraction and all the craft concentrates that that style can produce. Here in Season 3, it's less of a step-by-step walk through a lab, and I opened up the format to be able to cover all of the interesting things happening in the extraction and cannabis lab science space today. On this week's show, I'm joined by another prominent figure in cannabis lab science media. He's one of the more active folks in the Delta 8 debate, which is exactly why I asked him to come talk to us. In addition to the content that he's producing, he's also built a booming business in equipment sales and design. That business is Extract Lab, and today's guest is the founder and CEO. Dr. John Thompson, welcome to The Modern Extractor. Really good to be here, Jason. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. You've been making a lot of waves lately in the uh, in the industry with uh, all of your, your recent exposure. Where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Wisconsin. Uh, we have our uh, manufacturing facility in Osceola, Wisconsin. We also have our demo facility here. So, um, you know, pretty much every day making phone calls with people and meeting clients and uh, doing demos on our equipment and, uh, you know, educating the masses essentially on the benefits of uh, hemp and cannabis for, you know, products. Nice. Yeah, you're a busy man. All of that, in addition to uh, finding time to play around in the in the lab and do what your passion is. Yeah, I, it, we definitely have a balance. Um, what's wonderful about the type of company that I have is, you know, we build things that that uh, allow people to make things. So obviously, we need to try it out ourselves, and we need to work with uh, people who also are, you know, innovators. Uh, you know, for example, they're they're doing something new or uh, they're going to try a different process method. So we're always having to um, adjust and try to innovate our equipment to meet their new process. It's, 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 it's just absolutely a great time. And I love this industry because it's filled with all kinds of innovators. The operators, um, they come up with uh, just some genius ideas and, um, you know, they, I, I, I'm glad that they're proud of it too. They like to, you know, oftentimes they'll approach me, they'll say, Hey, what do you think of this? And I, I look at it and I scratch my head a little bit. And I like, Oh yeah, I really like that. Um, some of it, you know, like, Oh, well maybe that won't work, but you can try this, you know? So I really like talking with people who are actually using the equipment, um, hands on people. It, it's just a really great, uh, really great, really great industry we're in. And it's a good one because it's growing so much. It's a fun space. The uh, the amount of collaboration that I find is unlike any other industry that I've ever really worked in, and I I would never go back to anything else. It's just a it's a fantastic place to be and the perfect time to be in it. So you're the first doctor that I've ever had on the show. Did oh. you intend to enter the cannabis space while you were going through all the schooling required for this PhD? No, I pretty much decided that I like to do uh, separation. So I'm a separation scientist by training, uh, which means I, I learn and know how to separate things and then also how to measure things. So, um, you know, I came at the cannabis space from that background. 
if that's where you're coming from, what did your path look like after graduating college to uh, eventually founding and uh, taking the helm as CEO of Extract Lab? Well, I, I took a, a path that is a little less traveled. Uh, essentially, uh, I graduated you know, college with a biochemistry degree and also a chemistry degree and uh, decided to go on for further education. And, uh, you know, that generally is not a very fun thing to do. Um, you go out and get a job and you're making money. But in the case of graduate school, um, it's not a job. It's a it's a life uh, dedication, essentially. And then also you're not making any money. So um, just a glutton for punishment and or um, self-hatred, I would call it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the typical path for folks that get their PhD is oftentimes into academia. So uh, you, you made it out of that and, and into something that's, uh, I mean, in my opinion, seems like a lot more fun. I always wanted to really get into the deeper aspects of a particular discipline. And so that's what I really liked about graduate school. Um, I ended up trying to find an advisor who was, I don't know, kind of more stringent and had very, very high expectations. I liked that. Um, always trying to meet expectations, trying to um, basically always learn. And it, it really is a beneficial uh, thing for someone to do, even though it's not very lucrative, um, what it trains you is how to think about things, how to learn, and how to um, really, you know, make things happen. Um, and there's no one who's going to make things happen for you when you are in an academic setting. You have to do that on your own. So um, very early on in that academic setting, I pretty much knew that I was going to, you know, do some industrial type of uh, scientific work. And so I kind of uh, was always uh, oriented that way. So um, what a good advisor will do is they will put you in contact with people who are also like that. Um, and um, that allows you to really grow, um, not only from the standpoint of, uh, hey, you're not on the academic for the rest of your life path, but you are a person who wants to learn a lot about a particular subject that's a very applicable to industrial processes around the world. And hey, you're going to go into industry. So a lot of my colleagues actually went to pharmaceutical companies. Okay. Okay. Well, you've got no shortage of things happening. So uh, the, the advisor worked well for you. Give us a bird's eye view of what Extract Lab is as a company right now. Extract Lab is a company that has been growing by leaps and bounds over the last several years. We've grown over 2,140% since 2016. So we are really um, putting down some uh, metal on the ground and definitely, um, you know, spending a lot of time just continuously innovating in new products. So we started off originally with our uh, CO2 extractors, um, ended up uh, innovating in the area of filtration and um We've been doing a lot of work in separations like chromatography separations. And uh, we, we now we have a software platform that does, you know, track and trace and uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, information gathering. We also have distillation equipment that we've been working on and, and now is commercialized in, in a couple different varieties. We have equipment all over the world and uh, we have hundreds of customers. And basically what we do is we put them into the business of uh, botanical extracts. So uh, if you have a, a company that's just getting started and they need help navigating compliancy, they need help navigating you know, what uh, their equipment would need to be, what the SOPs would need to be, 
um, you know, basically reducing the risk from the standpoint of, hey, what kind of risk do I have uh, and how can I mitigate that? Well, that's what we do for our customers. All right. Well, uh, in addition to building all of this processing equipment and software and all that, you're a pretty prominent figure these days in the processing media space. And I'm not talking filtration media. Uh, I'm talking about your YouTube channel and your podcast, constantly cranking out educational content and talking about hot topics that are going on in the industry. So tell us what spurred the idea to start producing extract talks and putting yourself out there more than most. It's uh, it's a bit of a commitment. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, one thing that uh, anybody who's aspiring in this world will be able to tell you, and that is just the habit of doing it. So uh, every Tuesday, I put together a presentation for um, the Thursday podcast. And, you know, it's um, it's just something that's habitual. If you do it every week, um, really, you can you can write a book, you can um, you can create a lot of content. And I would say, yeah, we have created a lot of content. I mean, we've been doing an, basically an hour long podcast for well over a year right now every week. Um, we also have uh, lots of educational content I've been writing um, and still am today writing all kinds of guides and um, also, you know, just doing like presentations on, hey, here's something you should be thinking about. Here's what's new in the industry. Here are some things that you need to uh, consider when you're when you're building up a, a facility or here's something that you need to consider with your next new great product. You know, I've been myself producing this podcast, finding it very difficult to be able to create weekly content due to the fact that I'm trying to book guests and also trying to run a couple other side businesses on my own. So I, I would imagine being a CEO of a large company, trying to get all of that side that's already run and squared away and do this, you uh, you probably don't have a whole lot of free time, huh? Well, I really like doing the education part of it. It's... Um... You know, I, I deal a lot with sales and I help uh, their, our salespeople. So if I'm not education, educating our salespeople, I'm educating the you know rest of the industry. And so I really like that education process. It's, it's something that's very important to me. And I like talking about, you know, things. Sometimes if you look at our, our podcasts, uh, you know, there's lots of data uh, that I present. And uh, oftentimes that helps me learn as well. Uh, when I put everything together and I said, oh, well, I didn't really think of it in this way. Here's a here's here's a nuance on what I'm saying. And it really helps to hone your own understanding if you're able to not only put it on paper, then put it into a presentation along with data and say, hey, here's the reasons why we think the way we think. And here's how to think about uh, either separations problems or here's a way to think about your business. Um, I certainly am not always right. I mean, I've, <laughs> this, I've spent a lot of time, you know, doing revisions. And in fact, um, I do revisions all the time. And so there's always new content coming out. It's crazy. Um, so I often have, I have a huge paper here that's all filled out with all kinds of topics that, you know, our future podcasts and and there's just no end. <laughs> it's kind of amazing because it's because we deal with uh, a lot of different things. We deal with the business side of it. We deal with the uh, branding side of it. We help people understand the scientific aspects. We help the consumer understand you know cleanliness of the, of the extracts and 
what to look for in a good extract. And, um, you know, so they're also, you know, putting people into the business, you're always encountering new problems. So, um, you know, I get to write about all that stuff and then also talk about it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to do is actually talk about the lab. It's just a, it's a, it's a fantastic place to be and it's a lot of fun to work in. Um, so one of those topics that you've been pretty vocal about lately is actually why I asked you to come on the show today. It's Delta 8 THC. Okay. So D8 is uh, pretty polarizing in the community at the moment. Uh, and I'd like to explore it as well as some of the other isomers that have been getting a little bit of action online recently. So uh, let's start by breaking it down. What is Delta-8 THC and how does it differ from Delta-9, which is the THC that we're all used to? Okay, Delta-8 is an isomer of Delta-9. Um, and what that means uh, chemically is that there's a little double bond on the molecule and you can imagine the double bond decided to switch sides. Um, and uh, so it, it looks like uh, Delta-9, um, and in fact, to the untrained eye, you would, you would see a schematic of the molecule, and, and you're like, oh, that's, that's, Delta, that's Delta-9. No, it's not. It's actually Delta-8. So, um, you know, Delta-9 is uh, obviously in the THC uh, world. It's in the um, cannabis plant, and people use it to more or less get high. And um, they extract it. They put it in all kinds of forms, whether they're gummies or, um, you know, edibles or drinks or whatever. And, and specifically, it's, it's meant to create a euphoric experience. Um, on the other hand, uh, Delta-8 is, is derived mostly from, uh, you know, CBD, which comes from hemp. And that's really where the controversy comes because... Uh, a lot of times people are like, okay, well, I'm, I have CBD in my hemp. I'm not selling that very well. So I'm going to convert it over to something uh, that is very similar to Delta 9, but is not Delta 9. And it's not regulated the way Delta 9 is regulated. Um, and so that's why people are doing it. And that's also why it's so controversial. Yeah, we exchanged some uh, some back and forth in the comments section on one of your posts on LinkedIn about that. And that's what I would consider one of the main reasons why it's really making a bunch of waves in the media and, and in the cannabis industry um, is because of the legal status. So technically right now, D8 is legal under the farm bill because it comes from hemp. Um, but it is psychoactive. So you've got something out there that you can get a head change from that's being sold as widely as CBD. So you've got states where THC products are still illegal and haven't come around yet on, uh, on the end of prohibition. And you're seeing this product on the shelves at smoke shops and gas stations and liquor stores. I mean, we could spend a whole show debating over whether that's right or wrong. And I don't want to get into that as much, but uh, rather than do that, let's get into why Delta 8 THC is legal under the farm bill. What's your understanding of that? Yeah, well, the Farm Bill well, that was signed in 2018 basically legalized Delta 9 THC at the limit of 0.3% by weight. Um, and it, it didn't say anything about Delta 8. It didn't say anything about Delta 10. It didn't say anything about CBN or CB, CBG or CBC. It, it said um, basically that uh, one could extract the hemp plant or the hemp flower and um, 
And it, the only requirements were that it was less than 0.3% weight per weight uh, delta nine. So um, very much so innovators within the industry decided, hey, look, we can convert this over the CBD into delta eight. It gives the high. And by the way, it's, it's all legal because it's uh, being deriving from hemp and it's also deriving from, uh, you know, delta or CBD, excuse me. So that is the reason why people really like uh, the Delta 8 and, um, you know, and why it's legal under the farm bill. Just the farm bill is kind of silent on Delta 8. Yeah, if there's one thing that folks in this industry are really good at doing, it's finding some loopholes that might make them some extra money. But that also is, uh, you know, part of what is causing more of the controversy because they're not necessarily all doing it the right way. Let's get into that, the specifics of the farm bill a little bit more here. Um, there's a bunch of companies that are selling D8 products that claim that their products are made with Delta 8 that's been extracted from the hemp plant, you know, quote unquote extracted. Realistically, D8's in such small quantities in the plant that if you were to find a product on the shelf that was made with extracted Delta 8, like really extracted Delta 8 versus a product that was made with Delta 8 that's been uh, run through a conversion process from CBD, it would probably cost a hundred, if not a thousand times more than the product that was made with converted Delta 8. Would you agree that the majority of the D8 products that are on the market right now are made with D8 that's been through a conversion process? Yeah, uh, they have been converted from CBD um, and the method to do that is very old and well known. Um, and, you know, people have been talking about how to do that. You know, some papers even back in the 60s uh, from Mashulam talked about how to do the conversion. And so, um, yeah, I would say that the vast majority of the D8 that's on the market has been converted from CBD. And especially since the purveyors of that Delta 8 are claiming that it's made and it's hemp derived. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that definitely uh, that's where the D8 is coming from. And that's also where the concern is coming from, from consumers and also driven by uh, purveyors of Delta 9. Um, you know, they, if you can get high from Delta 8 and it costs a lot less and you don't have to have a license or a medical card or anything to get it and it's widely used like CBD is widely available, um, then what about all the investment I just made into a Delta 9, uh, you know, THC um, dispensary or a THC uh, grow or a you know, yeah. so that's really where I think the controversy is really happening. Yeah, I certainly see both sides. I like the idea of access, but I also hate the idea of all these folks that are trying to do it right in our industry that are just feeling their pocketbooks lightening up and, uh, you know, business plans that they had put together, uh, which were sound based on trying to work in the D9 space. And just seeing, you know, those business plans being less and less viable as as people have access to the unregulated Delta 8. So I, I certainly see both sides because I'm a fan of Delta 8 myself, but I think that we do need to work on uh, a little bit of that. I think there's there's room for both. Um, and I think that, you know, I understand, uh, I understand both positions and, uh, you know, I don't really have uh, an opinion on which one it should be, but I, I think that they have 
you know, you're not going to really overcome, for example, um, the, you know, all the dispensaries. People go to dispensaries for inexperience. Um, mm. People go to a dispensaries for, you know, for their particular strain. And that obviously is not occurring on the hemp side or the D8 derived from hemp. And so, um, you know, you're, you're just not getting that same type of experience. So I think for people who are connoisseurs of uh, cannabis, I think that they're not going to change. They're not going to change where they're getting their, um, you know, where they're getting their cannabinoid. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, it also is giving people more options uh, for people who wouldn't normally try something. Oh, this is hemp derived. It's in the tobacco shop. I'll hey, try it. So I think it's actually maybe even expanding the market for, uh, you know, cannabis users. And, you know, from that perspective, maybe it's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, haven't, I hadn't thought about that, that aspect of it. You might get some, uh, so, some new folks uh, adopted in. Uh, you're certainly going to have a different experience if you go into a dispensary and talk to a bud tender about what you're buying versus the talking to the guy at the liquor store behind the counter. Yeah, he doesn't care what you are imbibing or what you're taking or what you're doing. So um, you're going to get a different experience. You know, a lot of the Delta 8s uh, are basically in gummies or they are in, um, you know, they're in, you know, candies and edibles and things like that. So, um you know, I, I really think that at the end of the day, uh, you, you know, you're really you're going to you're going to choose the experience that you want. And for the connoisseurs uh, of the Delta nine, they're just going to continue to do that. And it may actually say, hey, look, now I have tried some Delta eight and I, maybe I'll try some of the Delta nine where the experience is a little bit better. Yeah, understood. Understood. So you guys made a great move over at Extract Lab as this whole Delta eight thing was coming into the spotlight and started packaging it up in a nice little clean package where you sell the equipment needed to do these conversions uh, and also education about the process and, and making sure people are successful in creating safe products that are going out there. So um, let's talk a little bit about your hardware package that you put together. Uh, what are we working with if we were to pick up the industrial equipment package? Yeah, essentially, it's uh, a conglomeration of a bunch of, uh, you know, standard hardware. Um, a lot of times people want to, you know, be able to put things together and put them into kits. And that's that's essentially what this is. We didn't really invent anything. Um, we just kind of put it all together for someone and so that they could buy it under one package. And then also uh, the scale up. So, yeah, when we did our first uh, set of Delta-8. Uh, I, I did them myself. Uh, you know, I was in the laboratory. Uh, I did a whole bunch of uh, conversions and they, they all failed and I couldn't figure it out. And then I called some people and, you know, just trying to figure it out. And then sure enough, I didn't have it hot enough. I didn't have the right solvent. I didn't have the right, you know, mixture. And, you know, we have an on-site analytical laboratory. Um, and, you know, so I was testing things as I was going along, making sure everything was safe. And I immediately found out that, yeah, you know, there are some things here that people really need to be aware of um, when they uh, start to make Delta-8. And uh, so, you know, I started to look at that. I get the equipment. I put that all together along with uh, along with the reagents and say, here, here you go along with the method. Um, and, you know, even even then with the method and with all the reagents and all the equipment, 
at the end of the day, you still have to have some sort of background knowledge and training. And, and also you need to make sure that your, your extracts are clean. You can certainly cut co corners and things like that. So, um, so the equipment package is pretty fundamental. It, it has a, a large reactor stirrer. It has a, you know, a heater and a chiller, and it has a way to wash uh, the extracts once you have converted it over. It has um, you know, it has abilities to put in the different reagents and then remove those reagents afterwards. So, um, you know, it is, it's nothing special. It's just putting it together for people so that they can buy a single package that's all put together. So what is this way to wash that you offer? Uh, if we're walking up to your D8 industrial equipment package from Extract Lab, what are we going to see when we walk up? We see the, the heated reactor vessel that's stirred. Yeah, you're going to see the heated reactor, stirred reactor vessel, which everybody have seen those things. And then you're going to have different containers um, and the containers are feeding into that uh, stirred reactor. And uh, there's solvent in one, there's uh, acid in the other, and then there's a wash neutralizer in the other. So um, as you go through the process, it's a manual process. We just didn't, you didn't want to introduce, um, you know, issues where, you know, you'd have electrical uh, items in there. So it's very important that you make sure that you are, are not uh, involved in any kind of electrical um, stuff. So we, we, we move the fluids around with air and or inert gas and you use standard, you know, manual valves. So we kind of engineered it that way so that it was, it was safe for people. Um, so yeah, they turn on this uh, stir and they put the stuff in there, they'd melt it down uh, they add uh, the solvent to fluidize it, and then they would, um, you know, add the acid in. Now, the acid is what people are worried about. Um, mm -hmm. They are worried that the acid is cooking it up into a kind of witch's brew, and that's uh, going to harm people. At the end of the day, however, the, the acid can be neutralized and removed very easily. So I don't really see, um, you know, a big concern there about it. I know that, uh, you know, people don't like to process or over-process their materials, but if you look at cannabis, let's just kind of look at cannabis in D9. Like, okay, so I'm going to extract it and then I'm going to cook the heck out of it to decarboxylate it. And then I'm going to cook it even more into a, a distillate and then I'm going to process it even more. So all of the oils that you get, whether it's a hemp oil or a, a D8, D9, uh, I'm sorry, a D9, you know, cannabis oil, it's very, very, very highly processed. I think that the concerns are now coming up where, you know, people are seeing uh, maybe their profits go down a little bit on the D9 side, and they're now got their talons out for the D8 people and trying to come up with like, oh, we're purists, as opposed to the D8 people <laughs> who are not purists. I don't think it's quite that way, um, because they're both highly processed. Yeah, Sidco Cat uh, does a, a talks about something that I find funny, which is uh, you know your cannabis consumers that are saying, "Oh, I'm only only full plant. I don't like processing." Meanwhile, they've got their hand in a bag of Doritos. You know, it's a, <laughs> a similar situation. Or they'll they'll say, "Wow, look at this! It's it's ultra clear distillate. Man, this stuff is really pure." No, the more the more clear it is, and the more colorless it is the more highly processed it is. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that basically clarity and color, uh, the more it looks like glass, the more highly processed it is. So, 
you know, I think nothing's let nothing's more pure than just the flour, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the reason we've gone away from flour, obviously, is people don't like to smoke it. Um, not everybody likes to smoke it. I think purists like to smoke it, which is that's perfectly fine with me. But from a medicinal standpoint, it's a little less desirable because you know we've told everybody that smoking is bad for you. Yeah, it's a barrier to entry for sure. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit more into the actual process here used to turn CBD into Delta-8. This show is targeted at folks that know their way around a lab, probably work in a lab, so let's get technical. No need to pull any punches with this bunch. Let's say I have a kilogram of CBD isolate and I've got your equipment package sitting here in front of me. How do I turn that kilogram into Delta-8? Okay, it's, it's really no problem. You take the isolate, you pour it into the stirred reactor, you add the solvent, and you turn on the heater, and you turn on the stir. The stir. So it's stirring, uh, and you're adding heptane uh, to the reactor, and you are stirring now. So it's heating up, and you're going to heat that up to about 120 degrees Celsius, and it's going to continue to stir. Once that has gotten up to, you know, up to say at least 100 degrees, um, then you add in your acid, okay? And um, it can be, actually be any acid. You can use hydrochloric acid. Uh, you can use, um, you know, other types of acids that are, for example, non-volatile, okay? Um, you know, choose your acid, whatever you'd like. Um, and, you know, there, people shouldn't worry too much about acid because it can be neutralized. Okay. So once you have that acid in there, you put in, um, I think, a there's a, there's a recipe, a formula. I can't remember the, exactly the ratio, but we usually have that in the SOP. So I can't give you the exact amount, but you pour that in there. Um, you would turn on, actually, that would be in the form of a fluid. Um, and you would turn on the vessel, uh, the acid vessel, the acid vessel would, uh, deliver that to the stirred reactor that's all enclosed. Um, We're using argon gas to push. um, And so argon gas is obviously uh, blanketing the whole entire um, unit. It's also got uh, argon gas on the top just to keep the oxygen from going in. And uh, it's heavier than air. So it's kind of blanketing it, um, displacing the oxygen. So you're, you're basically adding the argon in there you're adding the acid in there and you bring it up to hundred degrees, 120 degrees, excuse me. You hold it there for maybe a half hour to 40 minutes and that's it. It converts uh, pretty nicely. Um, and you're looking at uh, basically about uh, 90% conversion. Um, so, you know, you should see a little bit of THC and you should see mostly Delta eight at that point in time. So to clarify, for your process that you consider to be uh, best practices, uh, I've seen some of the stuff that you've put out, and it sounds to me like you're a fan of the glacial acetic acid for this process. Is that right? Yeah, we've used glacial acetic acid, um, and I like it because, well, it's a volatile acid. First of all, you can get rid of it. It's acetic acid, so it's like vinegar. Um, and you can neutralize it with bicarbonate very easily. And you do that with water washes, which is really the, the, the secondary step. Um, so acetic acid, you put that in there, um, use glacial acetic acid in a, in a, in a fluid and you, you basically, you dilute that. So we have a recipe for how you dilute that. You, um, you more or less, you, you add that, 
you're at 120 degrees, you're stirring, waiting 45 minutes, you stop the reaction, let it cool down, and then you start your water washes. And what the water washes are, just simply, you're adding in um, sodium bicarbonate to neutralize the acid, number one. Um, and then you're also adding in water, okay? And so the sodium bicarbonate comes in, it comes in in water. So what'll happen there is the water gets added to the reactor and then it separates. And upon separation, then you can use the bottom of the reactor to basically pull it out to a waste container, the water fraction that is. And the, um, the oil floats to the top and it stays right there and you can do multiple washes. So you're basically neutralizing all of the acid. So uh, from that perspective, it really is a pretty safe process. You're talking about an acid that is also very safe. I think the only thing that is uh, would be considered to not be safe with it is the removal then of the um, you know all the heptane. And um, in order to do that, you have to heat it up and you have to continuously stir it to get all the heptane out of it. Okay, so that's the uh, then the third step. So th those are the three steps that you would use to really make the D8 in. You could make it easily a kilo of the of the material um, with a conversion uh, from CBD isolate. So it's it's quite simple. Gotcha. So I started the show to really help extractors improve their processes and give away some SOPs and some information that would help them from having to scour the internet to find it. Because you know most of the stuff's out there already as far as ratios and all of that. Do you, off the top of your head, know what these dilution ratios and things like that are? Or is there a place where, I mean, that's the ideal scenario here is that you, you tell everybody what to do. But if there's a place where they can also look them up, that's another option. What are you thinking? Yeah. Um, okay. So on the dilution ratios, it's not a problem. You'll have to go to my podcast and you can see Delta 8, uh, our Delta 8, how to do, how to make it. And um, I have all the ratios in there. So you can go there, take a look at it. Um, in terms of the SOPs, I mean, that if you follow that recipe, you will be making Delta 8 like tomorrow. Okay. So it's really not, uh, really not difficult. I just don't have the ratios uh, off the top of my head at the moment. Yeah, no problem. Well, let's, uh, let's chat a little bit about some of the things people are using out there and, and what's causing problems. You know, there's a bunch of different acids you can use. There's different bases you can use to neutralize. There's different solvents that you can use. If we're using glacial acetic, that's something that, that you know, folks are uh, generally a little bit more comfortable with than some of these other ones. But there's some gnarly stuff out there. I mean, I've, I've heard uh, boron trifluoride acid, zinc chloride, uh, you know, some, some stuff that you don't really want to have in your lab. And then on the solvent side of things, there's, uh, <laughs> there's plenty of solvents people are using there. Now, I'd imagine that some of these decisions are being made based on reaction times and wanting to crank out more faster. With the SOPs that you're referencing right now with the glacial acidic and the sodium bicarbonate, what does it look like from a time perspective to run that process and be finished, not necessarily finished remediating residual THC, but be finished with something where you've got a, a concentrate that is delta-8 and maybe a couple other little residual things? Yeah, so you would basically uh, take about an hour to... Um, do the reaction, probably an hour to prepare uh, all of your reagents. Um, then you have to go and wash uh, the extract again. 
Um, so you would have to go ahead and wash it. That takes about an hour. So you're really talking about three hours of labor. Um, to, to speak to all of the different reagents that people are using, yeah, it's really important that you're able to measure the residuals of those in your Delta-8, Delta-9 finished product, okay? And if you can't measure it, you shouldn't be using it. Agreed. Um, there are some things that are relatively, you know, benign and uh, are not soluble in, uh, you know, in any type of uh, solution. So like zinc chloride, for example, is a salt. It, you know, it's going to come out that you just get that out by filtration. It's not going to dissolve. Um, so I wouldn't be worried about that at all. Um, you know, most of the uh, volatile solvents are great because you can volatilize them and, um, you know, get, get them out of there. Um, however, you know, if you've heard any of my show, I, you know, it's kind of that way where um, I'm not a big fan of the process in general because it is a solvent-based process. I don't like the idea of having uh, heptane in there because um, most people are not going to spend the time and, you know, have the equipment there to really say, hey, look, uh, heptane is all out of it. Um, and I don't want to be imbibing um, heptane. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, on the other hand, there are uh, hundreds of extractors out there using heptane and, and ethanol. Um, and they have the same issue. So uh, assuming that they are able to get out all that heptane, you know, it should be okay. Um, I don't like also, I don't like a pat, I don't like the amount of, of solvent uh, that uh, would be allowed uh, from a passing standpoint. Like for example, if, you know, if I had heptane in my sample and, um, and I'm allowed to have 5,000 parts per million, that would give me a pass from most of the um, laboratories. Well, from all the laboratories, basically, that are you know testing cannabis. I think 5,000 parts per million in any uh, extract at all is not what we're really looking for. We're yeah. looking for zero parts per million. So um, on the other hand, uh, you have, like I said, hundreds of extractors out there. And yeah, they, they definitely... Um, you know, they definitely have heptane in their extracts. We've, we've actually measured that, um, you know, over lots of the different extracts that are out there. One of the things that I found that was really interesting on one of your uh, segments, I don't remember which one, was that you guys were talking about some of the post-processing that happens with the finished oil at the end of this. And lots of people, if they're going into drinks or gummies or something like that, are doing nano emulsions or things to that nature. And so if you've got 5,000 parts per million, uh, I didn't really think about this, but when you guys were talking about it, if you got 5,000 parts per million of something bad and now you're nano emulsifying it and making all of that that much more bioavailable, then now you're making that more bioavailable as well. Yeah, typically um, you would uh, take a uh, an extract and you would try to make it water soluble by emulsifying that extract. And um, typically you would also add some sort of mechanical means to that, uh, whether that's a, a ultrasonic or whether it's a high shear mixer. And it's well known in the literature and also in the, the data that, hey, that has a very, very high degree of bioavailability. So you are not only concentrating those solvents or the residuals or the contaminants that are in there, you're actually making them like a thousand times more bio, bioavailable. And uh, the issue with that, of course, is that nobody knows what the effects are 
of, you know, a very extremely bioavailable solvent. So people who are using solvent techniques should really think twice about um, their actions, uh, especially when, they're, um, when their extract is destined for water-soluble products. Absolutely. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you were not as much of a fan of a solvent-based process just because there may be residuals. Have you come across any of the techniques that are coming out now to do a solid-solid conversion um, with, uh, with catalyst beads or something to that effect? Yeah, we tried a whole bunch of different methods. Um, and obviously, you always have to have the uh, CBD isolate in a liquid in order for the catalyst to work. So um, I, I don't I don't see the solid solid uh, aspect working. It has to be a solid liquid in order for this to really work. So I, I don't think that um, given the amount of energy that we need to put into it, and uh, you know, given the amount of you know aspects along those lines, it's probably um, you know much more much it pretty much is going to have to require a liquid in my view. Um, but I guess the catalysts that are out there, uh, that's the other thing is you have to be able to remove those catalysts. Some of those catalysts are quite toxic. So um, they must be insoluble uh, if you are going to use a catalyst technique. Yeah, I've been working with the guys at uh, Canaclick to try to develop some processes for solid solid. Um, and we're making fantastic progress on it. You know, there's still a, a couple of I's to dot and T's to cross, but there's a, there's some potential out there. Sounds good. I mean, uh, that's what I like about the industry. You know, somebody comes up, I say, Hey, you know, scientifically that's not really kosher. And then somebody does it. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Well, that's the greatest part about, I, I mean, I think science in general is just like, usually when you've got people that are well-educated in the field, as things develop, rather than look back on, on the past, they generally get excited about, you know, oh, look what we're doing. We're progressing this field and progressing the science. Yeah. You know, one of the things that you should note here um, about Delta-8 and Delta-9, again, that we haven't really covered, that I think is really important is that, you know, within, let's just, let's just talk about hemp and CBD. Okay, if you have a four gram uh, gummy with CBD in it and it's 0.3% by weight THC, you are talking about a very high dosage of THC. Absolutely. So, um, you know, people are realizing that they're taking gummies, um, you know, okay, you know, they typically don't market it that way, but it's perfectly legal. Um, and, you know, so I think. At the end of the day, you, certainly you can add the Delta-9 in there. You can add the Delta-8 in there. Um, some people actually use isolate, and then they add the Delta-9 to 0.3%, you know, when they make up their formulations. But, um, you know, I think it's important that people realize that because uh, you're already talking about a full dose of Delta-9. So if you're going to add some more Delta-8 to that, I mean, I've seen some gummies with over 100 milligrams dose. I mean, that's just stupid. It's a, uh, you know, wild world. That's what happens when you have no regulation. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Um, people are going to, you know, try to do the thing. I mean, you have dab rigs, right? I mean, those are <laughs> well known and that's in regulated areas. <laughs> so This is true. Yeah, it's kind, of, uh, it's kind of interesting. People are going to try new things, um, which, you know, I'm all in favor of. Yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about that residual THC after your conversion process. 
my understanding of this is that when you're doing one of these conversions, the material goes from CBD, if you start with CBD isolate, goes from CBD and then isomerizes into delta-9 and then further isomerizes into delta-8. Are you in agreement with that? Yes. All right. So then now, if depending on your process, the longer you run that process, the more you're getting losses on both your delta-9 and your delta-8 as you continue to run this process further. So one way through a battle of attrition would be to just keep running it, but then your your delta-8 yield is going to be significantly lower. So there's a lot of folks out there that are working on remediating that THC as soon as you have a maximum amount of THC-9 and THC-8. So what is your go-to process for remediating that delta-9 out of the D8 mixture? Well, there are actually two different options. Uh, you know, dilution's the solution to pollution. That's <laughs> the first option, and that is you just t- you just have a, um, a you have a you know an excipient uh, or uh, something that you're diluting it with um, that is uh, allowed. Like for example, if you're making a gummy, um, you're putting that in there, and so it's diluting, and your delta nine is going down. That is definitely a uh, viable technique, um, which is it's you know a lot of the uh, pens, for example, the vapor pens that we see that are out there that are just straight D D eight, they all have tremendous amounts of D nine in there. Even I, I mean, I've seen pens with uh, you know ten percent D nine in there um, that that have a C of A that says it's it's zero percent D nine. So I think that there's, um, you know, this is kind of leading to people shopping for different, um, more favorable um, C of A's, which is not very good for the industry. But I think, um, yeah, at the end of the day, you have, uh, you know, you have your Delta 8 um, and you're able to remediate it by dilution. Now, the second part of that is to use chromatography. And uh, we have a wonderful system called the um, Pure 99 um, and that uh, piece of equipment will actually separate out D8 and D9 into two separate containers using chromatography. And um, it does that uh, quite nicely. Um, so uh, anybody who's interested in that can uh, give us a call and we can set up a demo for them. Great. What kind of throughput do you get on a machine like that? Um, it really depends on the column and the column length and the column diameter. So we have different column diameters. The big um, one. Yeah. Yeah. So you can do... You can do like a kilo an hour with it. Okay, sounds good. Also, I wanted to ask uh, from earlier, you're talking about the, the three-hour process using your equipment package. Um, what kind of throughput does a three-hour process usually get you? How, how much starting material CBD can you put in and how much, how much final oil that you will then send to remediation? Yeah, it's, it, typically we do three kilo batches. Okay. And uh, so then in the total yield on that, you know, you have you have some losses just from moving the stuff around you. It's not a perfect conversion. You were alluding to that earlier. Um, you, you have what they call a thermodynamic limit to the conversion. And uh, so you're always limited a little bit on uh, how far you can go. So that's why there's always THC in there at too high a levels. So you must dilute the uh, end mixture down. And uh, with that dilution, obviously, uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to lose 
you're not going to lose any of the delta nine or the delta eight. You're just going to be diluting it down. You're going to be creating more, but your delta eight is going to be in less of a concentration than what you might want it to be in. Um, as opposed to chromatography, which um, really, really concentrates both fractions. So uh, you can get a very, very high concentrate of delta eight and a very, very high concentrate of delta nine with the chromatography process. Understood. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, circle back to a little bit here was the use of these solvents. And after using these solvents to catalyze the reaction, are they recoverable and you, can you reuse them? Um, well, okay, so that's a big controversial item. Um, are you going to reuse your solvents? They definitely are recoverable. You can recover them um, by condensing them. Um, but other things condense out too, right? So um, mm -hmm. they end up, you know, being able to be reused and people do reuse them. Um, what I like to do is uh, kind of remediate them, making sure they're clean. I always uh, throw them through a carbon filter. We have a product called Carbon X uh, that uh, basically will clean that up uh, and make it nice and clean. Um, but I would say that you can reuse them. Now, uh, if you are in a GMP environment, um, you would want to make sure that you had specifications on how many times you could reuse that solvent. Uh, you'd want to have specifications and, uh, and a means to understand whether or not that solvent was pure enough for you to use it again. So a lot of people use this technique called Headspace GC in order to measure the solvents, that uh, how, what the purity is of the solvents and how much solvents there are in um you know in a particular extract but i would suggest you use a gcms which is another technique it's a different uh type of instrument that really allows you to see kind of the fingerprint uh, and how well those solvents are clean so uh, my my suggestion to you would be not to reuse the solvents um you know, just go ahead and manifest them as hazardous waste because, you know, it's not like you're making hundreds and hundreds of kilos of this stuff. Um, you're just making, you know, typically people will make anywhere from three to 10 kilos a day. Okay. And, um, you know, that doesn't require a whole lot of solvents. And so, you, you know, unless you have um, another piece of equipment that that's all it's dedicated to that, um, you know, like a rotovap that you have dedicated to that, that would be something where you could reuse the solvents. But uh, um, make sure you have your accept methods there that are saying, okay, this is clean and here's how we know it's clean. Take the data, do the extra work. A, a lot of people who are doing this, however, do not have those capabilities in-house. So that tells me that they're not doing it at all. Um, and so, I, you know, I think that with the right operator that has the right internal controls, that has, a, for example, a GC headspace and a GCMS at their disposal in their facility has the best chance at making a very clean extract. Oh, man, there's so many things that I want to address on all of that. Uh, I guess I'll start with if you are going to not recycle your solvents, if you had to guess off the top of your head, what do you think you're looking at at a price per kilogram of, uh, of CBD process that those solvents would add? I don't know because I heptane is very, very inexpensive. So I don't think you're talking about a lot of money. Um, you know, you're talking, you get a barrel there and, um, you know, you're not talking about a lot of money. I don't have the actual number for you. I wish I did. Yeah, no problem. 
uh, you've got all these great calculators all over your website. So I'm sure that there's a calculator coming. In fact, I'm taking notes here. Get calculator for <laughs> I'm actually going to do that. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, I think you just got to make sure that um, to make sure that your extracts are compliant by uh, running in process measurements. That's essentially the problem. And actually, that's no different than the problem that, like, say, ethanol extractor guys have. And they have the same exact problem. If you have, um, you know, for example, ethanol plus heptane or ethanol plus a, a denaturant, and you're uh, working on that, and then you you send out your winterized crude after the fact, you're really kind of losing a lot of time waiting for the uh, specs to come back on your denatured um, you know, material to make sure that there's no denaturants left in your extract. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, you really, you really need to have all that stuff in-house, in my view, to really be an effective operator. And oftentimes, if you don't have that in, you're not going to be paying the bills for, uh, you know, a hundred bucks for the GCMS and another 50 or 60 bucks for your head GC headspace just so that you can be safe when you can easily sell, uh, you know, the materials for, you know, you know, five, 600 bucks. Okay. I'm just going to sell it out. So that, that's yeah. exactly what's happening right now. And um, I wish it wasn't the case, but I, I do think it's happening. So from the standpoint of concern, like, uh, you know, a lot of chemists are like, Oh, I'm really concerned. Okay. Well, the only reason that there's concern there uh, is, is because uh, people don't have the equipment that they need to actually do it right. Mm-hmm. And they're not following the SOPs. And then they have people who are not really uh, understand how to measure things uh, and measure those residuals. Uh, and, or maybe they don't even care about the residuals. So that's really where the problem comes from. It's not actual, the actual process, because I guarantee you, you can make uh, Delta eight perfectly fine and it would be perfectly pure and it would have no residuals in it at all, just using, you know, standard processes and uh, measurements that said, Hey, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, I, I you now have shown that, Hey, you've, you've taken all those solvents out. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, solvent recovery here. If you did want to decide to recover it. Uh, one of the things that this is a roundabout way to get there, but uh, one of the things that folks are doing after they have completed their conversion is actually distilling the final product using a short path or a wiped film or something to that effect to really concentrate it and to clean up the color of it a little bit. Um, I would like to talk about that as well. But if you've got that piece of equipment and now you have the solvent that you've used, that might be well, that would be a really great way to clean up the solvents and recover them. Yeah, absolutely. So typically what, what we always do is, yeah, we take it out of the reactor, um, the, the Delta-8, Delta-9 out of the reactor. It's dark because essentially you've been stirring it at high, high temperature and high pressure. Um, then we um, make sure that it, all of the solvents are out of it. We sometimes will rotavap it or we'll put it through what we call the Fractron. Uh, the Fractron is a trickle reactor that we we make um, specifically made for very viscous, uh, you know, oils. It basically heats up. It removes all of the solvents, and then we put it into our wipe film evaporator, which is our, what we call the Clear Still 400. And it does two passes, and it gets it really nice and clean. Um, a lot of people like to see like like colorless materials coming out, and typically you would get that from a short path 
uh, piece of equipment, which is glassware. Um, and that works out great too. It's just, a, it's, it's that much more processed, you know, typically to get the um, Delta eight, Delta nine to evaporate, you really have to cook the oils up a lot. So it's, it's pretty nasty in the bowl. Um, you're leaving all the dark stuff behind and then you're distilling off, you know, the quote unquote clear, um, you know, Delta eight, Delta nine. Yeah, the majority of the uh, the color remediation that I'm seeing in, in D8 is through short path. But um, I was just reading an article on Future 4200 the other day about setting up your settings on a uh, on a wiped film, which which should get you there. Uh, it's uh, you know it's one of those things where it's newer and and all the knowledge isn't out there just yet. Right. So if there are some residuals, let's say you've got a 90% product, and that 90% product has 10% of question mark. How do you go about quantifying that and, and determining what's left behind? You know, that's really where um, unknowns come into play. And that's been my, um, you know, big thing ever in the cannabis industry since day one. And that is people want to use chemicals. They don't know what's happening and you have all these unknowns and they don't know how to quantify them. So, um, so usually what they do is they just say, oh, that's the plant. Okay, it's fine. Just go ahead and take it. In fact, there are hundreds and hundreds of unknowns in a typical, you know, winterized extract. So a lot of times people just shrug and take it. But um, sometimes you can create unknowns and uh, by, you know, looking at the solvents and you can identify them. People just don't typically take the time out to do that. So and you need the equipment and the know-how to do that as well. What we have in our laboratory is called a QTOF, which is a, a it's a quadrupole time of flight um, piece of equipment, um, which allows you to inject your molecules in there. And it has a high degree of mass accuracy. So you can actually quantify and identify the unknowns. Um, and if you were uh, dealing with, for example, a pharmaceutical product, there'd be no way that you could sell something with uh, an, an unknown peak, okay? So I think that that's where the industry is going. Um, 100%. Yeah, and I, I think that we that's where we need to be. Um, people are don't have the equipment uh, because they are you know, doing other things. They're trying to come up with products, trying to pay the bills, trying to do all that stuff. So I really think that that's where our industry is going is more of a controlled product that maintains the natural aspect of the product but uh, also identifies what the unknowns are. Now, it's very interesting to, to notice how many people are and who is talking about the unknowns. It's the same people who are using solvents, uh, you know, in their extracts. So it's okay to not know what's in your solvents and, uh, you know, have all the cross-contamination occurring when you're using the batch again and again and again and again. But with Delta-8, it's not good. So it's okay over here, but it's not good with Delta Eight. So it's a it's a little bit um, it's a little bit duplicitous, I think. So people should apply the standards across the board, do it from a scientific perspective. Say, hey, look, if if it's no good for Delta Eight, uh, then it's no good for the solvent guys either. So you if you don't if you're not doing you're not understanding what your unknowns are with your solvents you're not understanding what they are with delta 8 you know what i mean so i, I think it's uh, really important that the standards are applied across the the industry in general and i tell you if we do that together everything's going to get better uh we're just continually ratcheting up quality we're continuing ratcheting up 
the natural aspects of the plant. And that's only going to be good for the industry. So um, I'm kind of a purist along those lines. All right. Well, you've, uh, you're a busy man and you got lots going on and I, I hear you speeding up. So we'll do a little bit of a lightning round here to, to get through the rest of this. Um, so well, Delta eight's getting the majority of the press right now. There's a bunch of other isomers and compounds that can be created due to a conversion process or an isomerization process. Um, tell me if you're working on any of these things. Uh, we'll start with CBN. Yes. Uh, CBN can be made, uh, you know, from THC. Um, and you can actually do that in the plant uh, by, by heating it up. So that's one of the things that uh, is very easy to do. Other, um, you know, more chemical processes using iodine have been published and well known. So I would say that uh, those things uh, definitely uh, we have been working on and looking at um, the other isomers of like D10, we haven't really looked at those in, in depth, but I know that there are people who are doing, you know, attachments to the uh, THC molecules, you know, to make them um, more, um, maybe let, maybe they're not regulated or they think that they're not regulated um, or to, to give a different sort of high. I'm really actually not in favor of that because uh, at the end of the day, CBN's okay because it's kind of, it's another cannabinoid. It's the end degradation product of THC. Uh, so if you have a THC oil that's sitting around for a very, very long time, it's going to convert into CBN. But when you're talking about attaching other molecules uh, to the THC molecule, that's where you're really starting to talk about adulterating the molecule itself. So I, I'm not a big fan of that. Um, I don't think that that's really going in the right direction in terms of a natural remedy. Understood. Would you say that THCO or THCP fall into that category? I would. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, if you want to use that as a, a pharmaceutical, that's fine. Uh, go ahead and use that as a pharmaceutical because it's, it's really not, uh, you know, for example, um, you know, what's in the plant, I guess, um, you know, it's not even converting. You're actually doing a chemical reaction where you're attaching another molecule. You're putting two molecules and you're putting them together. Okay. That's a little bit different than an isomerization reaction. Although I could see someone saying, Hey, you know, they do seem to be quite analogous. So, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. Um, but I just, I think that, um, you know, Delta eight, it's, it's basically been in use for quite some time. Uh, Delta nine has been in use forever. Um, you know, CBN has been around forever. So those are things that we really know a lot about the efficacy and the use and, um, you know, any kind of adverse events from with the other attachments to the other molecules. I don't really don't know if we know enough about, you know, the long-term effects of those, or if there's adverse events that we ought to know about before people take those. Gotcha. Okay. Well, to wrap things up a little bit here, uh, what do you have in the pipeline for Extract Lab? You got any new projects or uh, equipment or anything that we can expect to see popping up out of you for the rest of the year? Um, yeah, we are doing a lot of work uh, recently on the Pier 99. So I'm um, doing a lot of applications development on that. So you can stay tuned for a lot of that. We've also been um, doing a lot of work with um, you know ESG, which is Environmental Sustainability Governance. Um, and really quantifying the carbon footprints for uh, various extraction facilities. And it's very, very interesting. I have one question for you. Do you know how many grams of carbon or how many pounds of carbon one gram of ethanol extracted 
Um, you know, oil costs the environment. I do not know the answer to that. 95 pounds. Wow. That's, uh, that's a lot. That's serious. That's a lot. Uh, if you look at the, you know, different extraction, uh, techniques, you have butane, typically you'll have hexane, you'll have, uh, pentane, possibly ethanol and, um, and also, uh, CO2, obviously, which is probably the cleanest and most economically and also, uh, eco, uh, friendly, um, you know, type of, of extraction, the same, you take that same exact gram and you extract it with uh, CO2. So you got a gram of CO2. How many uh, pounds of CO2 do you think that costs the environment? Uh, I don't know, but I'm sure you got an answer for me. One quarter pound. Wow. So okay. it's not even in the same ballpark. So we're, we're basically um, working with some uh, various uh, ESNG, which is uh, envir- you know, environmental governance and uh, sustainability governance people to really go ahead and categorize, okay, what, what are the things that people need to be thinking about? Um, there's a lot of investors right now who are very interested in making sure that the investments that they make are in environmentally sustainable technology. So uh, doing a lot of work on there. And then also with the carbon credit and carbon offset, uh, also you know talking about how that really plays into your uh, extraction facility. So um, those are some things that we're really working on um, and have a lot of traction with uh, investors and also with operators. Yeah. And somebody needs to be a steward for the planet. You're doing good work there. We're supposed to use natural products and save the planet, but uh, you know, a lot of people look at it as a planet of savings instead. And that is a good line there. That's This is true. Um, so I recently saw on your Instagram that you'll be speaking at the Extraction Expo. I will also be at the Extraction Expo with the booth there interviewing folks. I'd like to sit down and talk to you from the floor of the Expo as well. Uh, have you announced what you'll be talking about out there? Um, no, but uh, you know what? I'm going to talk about sustainability. I'll announce it right here. <laughs> so we're we're going to be talking a lot about sustainability. Um, we've been using the uh, EPA's uh, in life cycle analysis and ISO process. Uh, which uh, there's an ISO process for really assessing things. So we're really going to talk about that. It's uh, some of the findings that I have are are just shocking, um, you know, and the figure and the statistic that I just gave you um, is kind of, that's a real eye opener. Uh, you know, one 95 pounds versus one quarter pound. So I have all the data. Um, it's peer being peer reviewed right now um, and done all the calculations uh, along with you know, all the different contributions and we followed that ISO process. So it's going to be pretty interesting. We're going to talk about that. I'll probably also uh, talk about uh, a little bit of the Delta 8 stuff since it's uh, a little bit controversial. I always have to go ahead and add that in there. So it's going to be interesting. Cool. Yeah. Come come sit down with me at the booth at the expo and, and chat with me about uh, about sustainability. I would love that. Looking forward to it. So what are you most excited about regarding the future of this uh, cannabis and uh, lab science industry? Well, I think uh, we are really still in the nascent stages, believe it or not, of the industry. Um, you know, we're talking about a, uh, uh, an industry that's growing at about 30% compound annual growth rate. We have at least another $30 billion of growth to harvest here. Um, people who are in this industry uh, have seen great growth thus far. Um, and we see, you know, legalization coming up here. We see uh, banking re- regulations and restrictions being lifted. So it really is a very good time for 
uh, investors and also for operators and for people who want to get involved in the industry to go ahead and get into it. Um, you know, just our own story has been uh, so, so amazing. I, I never expected. I mean, you know, our company put down uh, over 2,140% growth. Um, so that is a big, big, big deal. And um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, you can do that too. There's just all the boats are rising with this tide. And uh, that's, that's what's so wonderful about it. You can, you know, you can make a podcast, you can be successful with it. Um, on the other hand, you can uh, start a business if you want to, or invest in the business, you can see it grow. All, all the boats are rising with the tide and that's what's happening right now. So it's very good time to be a, um, really in this industry. Um, it's not a low growth industry. No, every time you think you missed the boat and are bummed out about it, you look and there's something, there's 10 new things coming out. So you're just like, get in and then you'll figure it out from there. Exactly. So if people want to reach out to you and get a hold, see how your education or your equipment or anything you guys have to offer can work for them. What's the best way to reach out and get a hold of you? Uh, the best way actually is to go to our website, extraktlab.com slash resources. And that's where we have all of our calculators on there. We have our guides, our downloadable guides. All of our mini courses are on there. Um, you know, we, we put those out. So um, that's where a lot of people end up going because they have all the all the podcast links are on there so it's pretty pretty amazing just go there also you can um you know email me directly j thompson j t h o m p s o n at extractlab.com um and you can go ahead and you know just just drop me a line i'm open to different emails and approaches so if you need anything or want to talk about a subject or something like that it's pretty easy to get a hold of me and uh yeah linkedin i'm on there all the time you know so you shoot me a note there um Please, please, uh, please shoot me a note if you have a question or want to talk about business. I do like to talk about business. So um, and I like to get people up and running. Right on. Well, Dr. John Thompson, founder and CEO of Extract Lab. Thanks for joining us on The Modern Extractor. Hey, thanks a lot, Jason. Really good to be on your show. I appreciate you, too. All right. Thanks again to Dr. John for joining us today. If you want to get a hold of Extract Lab, check out their website at extractlab.com. That's E-X-T-R-A-K-T-L-A-B.com. To get a hold of Dr. John directly, email him, jthompson at extract with a K, lab.com, or hunt him down on LinkedIn at Dr. John Thompson. That's J-O-N. The Modern Extractor recently teamed up with Mace Media Group as the official podcast partner covering the Extraction Expo. Mace publishes Extraction Magazine and Terpenes and Testing Magazine and produces some fantastic conferences, including one of my favorites, the Extraction Expo. This year's expo is coming up September 30th and October 1st at the LAX Marriott in Los Angeles. It's the only trade show or conference completely dedicated to extraction, all of the exhibitors are pertinent to the extraction business, and all of the speakers and panel discussions are targeted at us. It's the best networking and educational event specific to our industry, and the Modern Extractor listeners are eligible for half-price tickets. I'll be there with a booth, interviewing exhibitors and speakers and interesting guests, handing out swag, and doing my Modern Extractor thing to cover the latest and greatest in the industry. So, come find me and shake my hand. Ticket sales and information about the expo are available at extractionexpo.net. When you go to purchase your tickets, don't forget to enter our promo code, MODX, to get them for half price. 
That's M-O-D-E-X with no spaces. I'll see you at the expo. As always, if you want to hear about something specific on the show, let me know. Email me, jason at modernextractor.com. Make sure to follow the show on Instagram at the underscore modern underscore extractor. If you guys like the show, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. The more subscribers and the better reviews we get, the better guests I can book for you here in the future. Those reviews really do go a long way to getting the show seen by more eyes, and I'd really appreciate it if you guys would leave one for me. Stay tuned for a very important show next week. Just over a month ago, I was lucky enough to sit down and talk shop with Frenchie Cannoli just before his passing. It was an amazing interview about his life and his work, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with all of you. We'll get into all things hash, including the SOPs for making quality water hash and how to properly age it. A big thanks goes out to Isauda Venegas for handling business on the show's social media, and a shout out to the new fools for bringing the funk to the Mod X theme song. Thanks again to everybody for tuning into the Modern Extractor. New episodes are out every Tuesday. I'm Jason Showered. Let's talk soon. <laughs>